Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Kurt. So, first things first, this week we're going to be talking uh, news about Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider. And uh, the first one, we touched on it a bit last week, is Heroes Reborn Night Gwen. Because since we've mentioned it, some new stuff's come out about the character. And uh, we just wanted to talk about that. There's the preview art. Uh, we'll have that linked in the description, but it looks pretty cool it's from farad karami we were just discussing we, we just don't know who the colorist is on this issue uh whether or not it is uh karami coloring it as well as the lines but they haven't announced who the colorist is but it, but it is fully colored pages minus the the letters uh and we've got some interesting stuff we, we did mention last week that she is a Batgirl pastiche, perhaps is a bit more generous than, than uh, what we were using the word parody. Um, but yeah, very similar to, to, to Batgirl. She even has her own clock tower office with uh, lots of screens, which is uh, super cool. Uh, and we also get a look at some of the villains that she's fighting, uh, a lot from the Spider-Man rogues gallery, um, the little montage sequence, which they released of her fighting uh, Mr. Negative, uh, Hammerhead, who's a corrupt cop. There's... Mariah Dillard. Mariah Dillard. Uh, I knew her name. I knew her name it was on top of my tongue. Who's the Who's the other chap in the in the sort of in the torn up shirt? Who's Who's he? I think that's. I think that's still Mister Negative as Martin Lee. Oh, that would make sense. Right. I see. Okay. Because uh, yeah, of course. Because the other two crime bosses are shown with the cards. Yeah. Um. What, what else? There's some of the cool stuff. She's got a bike like a cool looking bat bike. Uh, there's a lot of cool shots with her with a sort of red cape uh, against the night sky, which is really fun. There's a mysterious looking scar that's not explained. There's Misty Knight with her robot arm who she appears to be, I don't know, working in tandem with or trying to move away from. It's not immediately clear without the letters. Uh, another really cool thing that they've released recently is they've uh, they've shown the art for the t- the Takeshi Maezawa Night Gwen variant, which looks very cool. It's it's uh, Gwen like she got like claw things like the I suppose Night Nighthawk and Night Gwen they've got, they've got hawks and she stood in front of Nighthawk. Uh, yeah, it's very very cool looking art. We don't get a huge Maezawa actually did a few of the last covers for Ghost Spider. Yeah, he, and he previously did the art before doing some of the cover art on there as well. So yeah, he's 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 drawn quite a bit, Gwen. Perhaps more interestingly was that there was an interview from uh, Games Radar slash Newsarama with Vita Ayala, who is the writer for this book. And they got a chance to sort of really dig into uh, the sort of vibe, I don't know, of, of the character, I guess, and spoke a lot about calling Gwen Dr. Gwen Stacy, because of course she's a psychiatrist. And in describing Gwen, this Gwen at least, in, in comparison to the to the regular Spider-Gwen, which we all know and love, Vita said this, she isn't really quippy, but she's very earnest. She's dedicated her day life to trying to help heal some of the most violent, troubled people in society, and her night's life to protecting civilians from them. She's also a bit of a square, which is the opposite of Spider-Gwen, who is super cool. And uh, yeah, it does seem like Night-Gwen is going to be pretty different from the regular Gwen. But again, like I said last week, this is a very cool looking book. Uh, it's it's very much from a uh, creative team which is used to 
Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, uh, and also you know use, using that character in, in a superhero capacity, just generally speaking, is is a sign that potentially there could be more Gwen Stacy content down the line. So yeah, that's that's really why we're pumping up this book, and also just because you know Vita Ayala is, is a good writer, and you know we want to see more of their work. Uh, particularly with Gwen, uh, who they did state she was open to writing more of either Gwen in this interview. So yeah, it'd be great to see more of that. I don't know if you've got uh, you got thoughts on on that, Gwen, Abigail. Yeah, I can't wait to see what Ayala and Karami put out because uh, so far, even the preview art just looks fantastic, and even the direction of this story, it's the opposite of what Spider Gwen would do. Because first of all, you know she's not a psychiatrist, Spider Gwen. Like, she's more carefree and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, like, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what they put out in Heroes Reborn Night Gwen. Awesome. Next order of business is the King in Black Gwenum vs. Carnage trade paperback, where the main story is written by Sean and Maguire, with art by Flaviano and Iguara, and colors by the original Spider-Gwen colorist Rico Renzi. This is a, a three-part tie-in to a Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman's King in Black event, which is also another great book. So if any of you haven't read King in Black yet, you should, because it's a really good book. And this miniseries does play a part in Donny and Ryan's event to an extent. This trade also collects King in Black Scream number one, written by Clay McLeod Chapman and Gary Brown, who is also the same creative team for Scream Curse of Carnage, also another really good book, and also King in Black Spider-Man number one, written by Jed McKay, with art by Michelle Bandini and Alberto Albuquerque. And this trade will be on sale July 15th. Yeah, that, that looks really good. That that was the dream creator team, though. Maguire, Flaviano, and, and, and Renzi. That that was... I'm, I'm going to miss... I'm going to miss that creative team, but yeah, definitely. And I also have to uh, jump in that we will be doing the Gwenum versus Carnage episode down the line. Yeah, way, way, way down the line when we get there, because that's, that's right at the end of, of everything we're doing. But we'll, we'll probably do a Night Gwen one earlier on, but but definitely Gwenum versus Carnage, we'll do that chronologically with the rest of the series. The other thing we wanted to mention, sort of a, a general piece of news, is Dog Days Are Over, which is the Ghost Spider number one to five. There's another arc from Sean and Maguire. Actually got nominated for a Hugo Award, which is uh, which is quite impressive, and they'll be announcing the winners of that in December. But but yeah, that they've uh, it's been nominated along with a bunch of Maguire's other work for the the graphic novel of 2020 award. Is that right? So yeah, that looks that's that's really great, and it's nice to see it getting a, a bit of attention because that book that definitely it undersold. It's it it, it was underrated even. Uh, yeah, very much good to see Dog Taser over getting some appreciation there and uh yeah is that is that's our news yep that's all on uh, the gwen news for this week yeah so jump in yeah let's uh today's episode will be starting the first arc of gwen's 2015 to 2018 ongoing titled greater power yeah yeah that's uh yeah it's the first six issues of that spider gwen ongoing if you want to know where to buy it, or uh, you know which, which what to read. If you just generally need information on Spider Gwen's uh, slash Ghost Spider's bibliography and reading list, we have one of those in the description. That's that's the full lot, and we'll also include a Comicsology link to this particular trade, so you know what to look for if you want to buy it on there, or if you want to buy it somewhere else. So let's get into it. Issue number one, and 
yeah, what we'll do is we'll, we'll sort of go through it and our thoughts on each issue. So the first one, and, you know, I got to say that the death of Bandito is, it's heavy, you know, it's, it's rough. Yeah. If you want to get a person's attention, the uh, thing to do is kill the dog. Yeah. Yeah, that, straight out the gate. So we get uh, we got another appearance of the Bodega Bandit here, and uh, he's in action robbing the Dollar Dog for their corn dogs. And this is immediately juxtaposed against the much much scarier villain of the Lizard, who pops up out of the grate to eat Bandito, his sidekick dog. Um, and this is this is sort of almost silly seeming page, where where you see that sort of hold up at the dollar dog with him holding up a, a a corn dog as if it's a weapon and then the next page where you've got like it's a full it's a full page of the lizard stood over the the poor dog bandito and that is yeah it's the last we see a bandito uh rest in peace well at least he's up there with sparky yep with sparky and it's uh and uh whatever the dog from uh from john wick was called i don't know either but yep yeah, um, we get a, a classic sequence with Gwen actually starting her first day at the job, and she's late, so she's got to go to work. She does her commute in her Spider Gwen outfit, and it becomes a whole thing where she's late for work, ends up having to run away from the police who spot her while she's on her way to work in her Spider Gwen outfit, and she also has to take a call from her dad. And also, at the same time, her web shooters are clogged up because there's not enough moisture in them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we we, uh, we might go into a bit more detail on the on the origins of that. But yeah, there's a sort of failure on on the web shooters' part there, and uh, they don't they don't work quite right at all. They you get the impression that that perhaps she hasn't been using them a lot, and that's why they're not working. Uh, she hasn't been getting out and about Spider Gwen as much at this current point in time. As luck would have it, Gwen's first day on the job is at the Dollar Dog, and she arrives to see the sort of mess left by the lizard and the rather distraught owner of the business. So it it sort of develops into a whole thing where she's now hearing about a giant lizard going around terrorizing, and she wants to find out whether or not that's Peter Parker who's back. Uh, because, of course... Well, Peter Parker's the lizard in, in Earth-65, or at least he has been prior to this point. We get a... Uh... Sorry? We also have to bring up that Gwen having a job at the Dollar Dog that sells corn dogs. It's a recurring gag where um, Gwen seems to have corn dogs all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and it very much... I think this is the the first... I, I, the, I think she does visit the Dollar Dog in the miniseries, but this is the first time where it's like... Yeah, it's done in detail. This is the first time we see corn dogs on the panel and stuff. But yeah, it just keeps coming up. Gwen is always having corn dogs. It's something she's always craving for. So yeah, very much a, like a weakness for junk food, I think. Gwen, Gwen Stacy of Earth sixty five, and uh, the corn dogs are the the main one which they, they they go to for that. There's also a whole scene between DeWolf and Captain Stacy where there's this sort of continuation of the previous book where the wolf is is sort of keenly aware of of this suspect relationship that the police captain has with spider woman and and wants to sort of try and figure out whether or not they're in cahoots or not at the same time he's saying stuff like they should investigate the lizards 
and he's using the fact that these sightings have been had not just at the dollar dog but at other places that there's potential other lizards out there and that they need to go after that and that he's using that to deflect from the accusations being leveled at him and i do think they've got they've got a, a sort of good dynamic i think and that they they layer it on with each issue in the wolf wanting to sort of pursue this case and remain loyal to her job while at the same time not wanting to actively prosecute captain stacy at this point it's an interesting dynamic yeah then uh, later we cut to uh, Gwen trying to investigate the lizard incident at the uh, Dollar Dog only to find that Bodega Bandit is in the dumpster because he's mourning the death of his dog Bandito, like as he should. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's tragic. It's definitely one of his lowest points. Yeah, he's quite distraught with it. And he's just holding the collar as well, which is... Yeah, the, the the tragedy of of it comes home because you often you see panels like that where 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 somebody's under imminent danger and then it cuts away and you think that uh, you know they'll explain it away in the next scene, but but no, Bandito really does die in the first two pages of this book, uh, which is just sort of adds to the tragedy there, I think, which puts Gwen back on the trail to try and figure out how the lizard is on the loose, and there is a connection made with Doctor Connors of Earth sixty five who is introduced here as a midtown high school teacher who had knowledge of Peter Parker's transformation on this earth. And there's even a flashback sequence to when Gwen first interrogated him, presumably back when all these things happened, but he's nowhere to be found at this point. So yeah, that's that's interesting, introducing Dots Connors. We don't say his first name in this house, so... That's one thing I would do want to point out. We, we don't talk about Dr. Connor's first name. <laughs> but after one figures out what to do next, there's a whole flashback sequence of uh, her and Peter in the cafeteria. Peter asking who's the new kid. And then Gwen tells him that that's Harry Osborne. And Peter tells Gwen that the rumor is that um Harry tried to burn down his previous school. And because of his carrying around role-playing dice and his wealth, that all of the bullies call him the Green Goblin. Yeah, it's, uh, they made them all super nerds. Like this, th- this friendship group of th- this high school friendship group of of Gwen Stacy, Peter Parker, and Harry Osborn. They like they love Dungeons and Dragons, and and they're all kind of the social outcasts to the uh, the school. Really, it's a sort of I don't know. I, I guess I guess it's like Gwen's first click because obviously she spends a lot of time with the Mary Janes in, in this book, but but in the in the high school scenes. You see a lot of um, Gwen and Pete and Harry uh, in the flashback stuff. Uh, although we do get some of the Mary Janes. They sort of, they appear to be in a different sort of phase. Like Betty Brant, I don't know, is like she in some kind of metal phase or something? Like she... Yeah, she gives more of a, a goth aesthetic because even she attempts to name the Mary Janes murder face. Yeah, yeah, like, like and that would explain why the cat's got such a, such a metal name and, and Betty's generally a fairly upbeat kind of wacky character. Uh, as we see her in the present of the comic, but yeah, much different back then. And uh, there's obviously there's a there's a sort of I say it's implied, but it's quite explicitly stated. There's uh there's quite a bit of romantic tension that perhaps Harry and Peter are crushing on Gwen as well. Which yeah, there's a bit of a I don't want to say Peter Parker sixty five is an incel, but he's not he's not doing great, and he's he's not happy about things. And it does appear that on the prom night where he hasn't gone with anybody, he gets beat up he's been beat up right that's what's happened in that in that panel there yeah because i think it looks like he's on the floor clutching yeah and 
this appears to trigger his transformation into the lizard, at which point it very, very quickly cuts past that fight to his death, then his funeral. So yeah, it's a sort of, it's a quick flashback. And there is a, there's an interesting line about from Harry Osborne where he says, none of this should have happened. All the things I have, all the things I could have done, I should have had the power to stop this. And like Gwen, he appears to be shouldering the guilt of Peter's death as well in in those panels, which is quite an interesting dynamic, really. And then we get more corn dogs after that scene. That uh, immediately switches to more co- more corn dogs. Even she says, "I think I'm gonna need more corn dogs." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, for context, yeah, uh, she's using corn dogs to try and lure the lizards out in the subway, which initially brings out a lot of waif and stray pets, including a certain hamster called. She immediately calls Pinecone. And then the actual lizard appears and yeah, it looks different. It's got a different shirt on and then more lizards appear and it's up to, I want to say it's five. Is the five overall? How many lizards? How many lizards can one lizard lizard? Uh, let's not get into a tongue twister here. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's five lizards. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, there's no more than five on one panel at one time. And so the sort of escalation from uh, just corn dogs to pets to five lizards all at once. And then the issue ends with this full page view of Captain America of Earth 65, who looks cool. I'm sorry, it's it's a really cool... I like Captain America of Earth 65. I think she's really cool. Yeah. Samantha Wilson, right? So in this world, we don't have a Steve Rogers Captain America. We have Samantha Wilson. And she's working with S.H.I.E.L.D. here. And she's trying to put Gwen under arrest. And that's kind of her role is as a representative of the sort of shield we don't get a huge amount of shield in the spider Gwen comics but when they do show up we get a lot of captain america and she immediately shows up here with the intent to arrest gwen uh, and that closes out issue number one which is pretty cool actually i've got to say i think issue number one was uh, of of this particular arc was the first spider Gwen comic i actually bought it's the first one i uh, bought and read back in the day back back when i was yeah it's also actually the same one that i uh that's also my first Spider Gwen comic that I bought too. Oh, nice! Yeah, I got nostalgic for it. I've got—I I don't think I actually bought the original cover. I, I got—I uh, got the Scotty Young variant and read that when I was like fifteen or something. Uh, and I happened to pick up the uh, Humberto Ramos hip hop variant. That was back in twenty fifteen. I think I bought it in October. Oh, that's that's super cool. Yeah, Humberto Ramos. That's that's great. Issue number two. And this arc opens with more Uncle Ben. We get we get more Uncle Ben, who is still hanging out with Captain George Stacy, and he's kind of upbeat. He has sort of this moment where he's trying to reassure Captain Stacy about Gwen's choices, and there's this shift in the conversation where Captain Stacy says that he thinks he's close to catching Peter Parker's killer. And his kind of, I don't know, his demeanor kind of changes, right? Like he's immediately very thankful. And then when Captain Stacy says Spider-Woman didn't kill Peter, yeah, he gets sort of a, I don't know, concerned expression on his face. He pulls back at least. And then it cuts away after that After that scene, picks it up later on. So we'll, I, guess, well, I guess we'll circle back around to that. Talk a bit more about Uncle Ben 65. The fight with the lizards is kind of insane. We get... A lot of Captain America action. He's very cool. She does some crazy stuff with the shield. Like in most of the panels, the shield is just like this pink, reddish streak bouncing across the panels. 
yeah, yeah, that's supposed to show the uh, movement. Yeah, and and Gwen spends most of the fight trying to tell a pun before. I think even her first pun is, "Look at that, a reptile dysfunction." Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, and then there's a the the fight ends with Gwen saying, "I'll get a double ha out of you if it kills me." Trying to get a proper laugh out of Captain America, which she hadn't done up until that point. At which point she gets immediately knocked out. So yeah, it it does seem that Captain America sixty five is is very much capable of taking out Gwen. I I think one of the things which comes apart in Gwen's fights is she's not she's strong, but she's not a very good disciplined fighter. She's not good at you know angling her punches and and just gen- yeah, her general um, skill. Yeah, because she's not a trained fighter. Like even like according to her description. Back in the issue number one, she learned most of her moves from kung fu movies. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she's just kind of winging it, and she she does she does a lot of creative things, uh, which is also commented on. But yeah, generally speaking, in, in a proper fight versus somebody of an equal stro- uh, skill and strength, um, strength level, that's it, strength level, uh, somebody with an equal strength level, she's quite inclined to to lose that fight, uh, which is what happens, and that throws the comic into this uh, really cool double page spread of the backstory of Captain America Samantha Wilson of Earth 65 where it's it's shown that she got put on the Project Rebirth team along with Steve Rogers and uh, Bucky Barnes and even uh, is, is it says Isaiah Bradley yeah it, it name drops uh, name drops him as well um, but what happens is there's this sort of attack and they've died no i think it's just the three of them are just injured because um steve is still shown tending to his injury that's true okay yeah yeah so in in the end what happens is she gets to be the one to end up in the is it vita or vita the the the, i think a vita ray the vita yeah okay all right the vita ray chamber and she becomes captain america of earth 65 we get this montage of her fighting the nazis and the catalyst for her ending up in the modern world is different from how Steve Rogers ends up, generally speaking, in the modern world. Normally, he goes out swinging, ends up in the ice. But this time, Samantha, she got lost around time and space for 75 years. Right. And I think that's a really neat thing. So she basically spent 75 years doing the equivalent of the 90s television show Sliders, where... Uh, she she does all kinds of crazy things. She goes to Dimension Nazi. Uh, she meets Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur, and then she does eventually find her way back to Earth sixty five. And the director of Shield here isn't Nick Fury. It is an eye patch wearing Peggy Carter, who is uh, I don't know quite severe looking. She's got like a trench coat, and she's apparently been running Shield this whole time. She has neither of them age. It's it's interesting, but yeah, it's uh that I think we'll get more into Shield of Earth sixty five in some later issues. They get quite a bit of play, but yeah, Peggy Carter director of Shield and Samantha Wilson Captain America and Earth sixty five, and they're they're a cool duo. And yeah, so the the fight with the lizards kind of develops a little bit later on in the issue. It cuts back. Gwen's been handcuffed with vibranium, which is not great to say the least. And it's then immediately revealed that Dox Connors is the lizard, among other people who were also the lizard, as they've been like there's kind of like a suppressant that they use on the lizards. It doesn't cure them. 
on Earth-65, but it's able to keep it at bay. And it, it does a similar thing to, I guess, what, what they did with the vulture gas, where they, they let off this big green gas. It's a different kind of green, I guess. But it means that a lot of the panels here have got like kind of a lot of swirling green smoke, which I think is kind of cool. And then as uh, Cap tries to interrogate Connors about where did he get the lizard formula, she brings up an organization that's acronymed SILK. Yeah. And then, yeah, which comes into play later on. But Gwen has no idea what's going on because, like, even she asks, like, uh, what the fuck is Silk? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it's, it's interesting what they do with that. So there, there's a couple of extra connections implied because up until this point, as far as we've known about the lizard thing, is that it's just something that Peter Parker came up with because he was getting bullied. But with this, it sort of, it, it relates it back to what Connors was doing with this sort of, secret organization so the the impression i think we're given as readers is that what peter park has gone and done is perfected or he, he made it viable anyway and that's where he came in but there's also these other things at play with the lizard mutagen of earth 65 and it yeah it does continue to be a a factor at least in things the the whole conversation anyway triggers uh connor's to transform back into the lizard and I really like this panel here where it's like what happened to Peter and it's in like all jagged red looking writing on, on a green background with him reflected in the shield as as, uh, as 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 Gwen stands behind Captain America for safety. I think it's a really cool panel. I love it. We also get to meet Falcon of Earth-65. Yeah, who instead of just being a simple sidekick or even a random kid, what makes this Falcon interesting is that He's actually a clone of uh, Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. So they've, they, at some point in, in the time where she was missing, they tried cloning Samantha Wilson and they made Sam Wilson. So Sam Wilson is the Falcon to Samantha Wilson, Captain America. Um, he even has, he has Red Wing, but it's a robot Red Wing, unfortunately. But yeah, he's, he's, um he's kind of framed as being kind of trigger happy here. Uh, he's, keen to say the least uh that's the this kind of vibe he really wants to get in on the action but like samantha's kind of this uh, restraining uh, moderating influence on his his tendencies here uh, all at the same time that this is happening uh, the wolf is now following up on these leads that that she was given by captain stacy which has led her to the same lizards in the subway that gwen was chasing that captain america was chasing so now they're all sort of it's all sort of happening at once there's that the fight gets kind of worse it, captain america is knocked out uh gwen manages to hold off one of the lizards with a shield but then has a sort of ptsd flashback to fighting peter and just just kind of breaks down is a, a really sad moment where she's literally shadowed by the lizard and yeah, yeah she kind of to her it. surprise the wolf like shoots the lizard in the shoulder yes that's that's the, the that is, ha, happens a lot in these fights where where somebody comes along and just sort of quickly bails out Gwen. So at at the same time as the wolf shooting the lizard, the robot Red Wing also arrives, uh, piloted presumably by by the Falcon, and uh, the sort of joint efforts of those two hold off the lizard long enough for Gwen and, and Captain America to get their bearings uh, and pull the they pull the ceiling down on him. But there's this really good moment where Samantha sort of just kind of wants to, she kind of wants to leave. She wants to retreat because 
because of the obvious and sort of present danger that the lizard poses. But Gwen is insistent on fighting. And there's this hero moment where they they sort of, she convinces Samantha to stay in and sort of pull down the roof with her because Gwen's strength alone isn't enough. They use webs and yeah, it comes down and they, they defeat him that way. And that is, that's the second fight with the lizards. Yeah, there's more lizard fights after. There's always there's always good lizard action in the Spider-Man comics. And there's there's a kind of uh there's a an additional sort of tension set up with DeWolf as a as a cop with Samantha Wilson, who's kind of this sort of I don't want to say she's a free agent, but she's kind of she's working with SHIELD and she's kind of representing them and there's a bit of um yeah, they, they don't super wanna to work together. But yeah, there's there's a bit of disagreement there. And DeWolf is kind of still on the whole Spider-Woman thing at this point, but Samantha Wilson kind of sees through it, right? She kind of sees Gwen for who she is, and she kind of sees what happened at Midtown High for what it happened. She's kind of directing DeWolf, like Captain Stacy was earlier in the the previous issue, to look into Spider-Woman. So yeah, no, I, I really like Captain America 65. She's, she's, she, she, knows what's, she knows what's right. She knows what's right. There's also a bit more with Uncle Ben 65. He's, yeah, he and George are talking about Spider-Woman again. Yeah, he's a bit more bitter here, because like, up until this point, we've only had a very sort of positive depictions of Uncle Ben on Earth-65. He's been, he's been kind of chipper, he's been kind of cheerful, you know, all things considered. But in this particular scene, uh, because, because Captain Stacy's telling him that he's not going to really be pursuing Spider-Woman as much, that because the, the NYPD kind of has his hands tied behind his back, he's, he's kind of upset, right? Like, that he's not getting the justice he wanted to see. And, yeah, his, his body language changes a lot here. Yeah, there's a particular panel where he kind of almost recoils. And, yeah, he's, he's got a different look in his eyes there anyway. Um, the issue does close out on a, on a really nice note, though, where... Yeah, it's very touching. Gwen tries to make amends with Bodega Bandit. She feels sorry that his dog got eaten by the lizard. So she gives him the hamster that she named Pinecone. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, no, it's you're absolutely right. Yeah, it is really nice, and he's he's super chuffed as well, and makes the little little mask. One thing to note: Gwen is still in handcuffs. They were vibranium handcuffs, so she's she's literally going around with with both hands tied at the moment, which is kind of where issue number three picks up with her being late again, but this time to a lake house trip with the Mary Janes. There's a really fun group chat thing they have going on. Is it group chat or is it is that just Gwen's name in Gloria Grant's phone? I'm uh, enhancing the uh, image. Gwenzillionaire. Yeah. It's a bunch of like autocorrect mistakes. But either way, what comes through is that like Gloria's messaging Gwen and she's not getting a reply. And and there's this sort of this this is bit where MJ's like Gwen will come if she wants to come, but Gwen has full blown authority issues. So if you make it too obvious you want her to do something, she won't do it. To Glory, who has a has a much more hands-on approach when it comes to Gwen. But yeah, this is the sort of band dynamic. Glory's very concerned with, I think, the members of the band in a, in a way that M- MJ's perhaps got more of a... Where, where Glory mothers, MJ's more like a big sister, I guess, if that makes sense. Probably, like, MJ would be like the bossy older sister. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. That seems right. There's also, in this issue, we get Jessica Drew. We get, you know, that's super cool. This is during the period of the comics where... Um, Jess decided she wanted to have a child, and so right now she's very pregnant. 
Yeah, like having butter cravings and everything pregnant. It's uh, there's some really nice scenes between Gwen and, and Jessica Drew on Unearth Six One Six in this issue. What they're doing is they're kind of, I mean, they're in New York Six One Six, where uh, we even get uh, a cool splash page with Thorb very briefly on it. That's cool, Jane Foster Thor. That is the mighty Thor. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's very much focused on this conversation between Jess and Gwen. There's a really cool gag where uh, Jess like implies that she's going to have to melt the cuffs off Gwen using her bioelectric powers, but it doesn't happen. Uh, she she actually has like this cool super spy lockpick thing that she uses, but but it's like a fake out moment where Gwen's just panicking in full panic mode, and uh, Jess is just totally messing with her, which which I love. I think that's really great. And it cuts back and forth between these scenes with Jess and Gwen and these scenes, uh, this scene happening at the NYPD between Ben Grimm, uh, who is a cop on Earth-65, as uh, as readers will know, and DeWolf and Frank Castle, the three of them arguing over the best options to pursue in the, in the Spider-Woman case. They're trying to decide whether or not if Toombs is reliable... Yeah, it's implied that maybe like Frank Castle is aware of perhaps that Gwen could be Spider Woman, but he doesn't say it out loud here, and he he very much says that the uh, Captain Stacy's connected to it all, and it basically concludes on that note. One thing to note here that's kind of cool uh, is I say it's cool, it's pretty rough for him. Uh, ben Grimm has this kind of brace that he wears now as a result of what the Vulture did to him in the miniseries uh, when he got knocked off the. Of, of a high point anyway and yeah he now he's now wearing a brace in these panels so yeah he's been through it and yeah he's got yeah they, they don't they don't have a high opinion of tombs but they're also aware of that now murdoch is is manipulating him so yeah it's it's a whole thing we cut back to earth 616 where gwen is asking jess about what the gwen stacy of earth 616 was like because they're sitting in front of the george washington bridge where she was dropped Right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's rough because like Gwen's kind of contemplating what life would be like. She didn't have to be Spider Gwen, and she didn't have to take on all the responsibility. And Jessica Drew is is like, you know, just just focus on what you're doing right now and just trying to be the best at what you're doing right now. And that you know the that, that just make make the most of it. She comes at it from the perspective of not that. Gwen six one six died because she was this tragic, innocent person, but rather because she didn't have the chance to live in the present the way that Gwen sixty five does. And the, yeah, it's it's a it's a thoughtful way of incorporating Gwen six one six into this character without being derivative of her. I think uh, making it a part of Gwen's pathos. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because these two are totally different characters. Very much so. Yeah. And then the issue closes out here. Oh, it doesn't close out here. There we have an additional Cuts scene. to. Cuts yeah. to. That's the right word. Yeah. yeah. With Murdoch and, and Captain Stacy, where Murdoch offers to help the Stacys and leaves them his card, implying that he uh, he knows she's Spider-Woman. Yeah. Yeah. He, he very much says that he knows that Gwen is Spider-Woman at this point. He does. And... Yeah, even his business card. Yeah, so he leaves his business card. The devil you know is his slogan with uh, with Captain Stacy there to think about. 
it cuts back to Earth 616 where when she turns her attention back to the band's lake house trip. But like there's this funny instance where she's trying to talk to Jess about her trip, but Jess is arguing on the phone about where to get food. Yeah, no, I think that's really funny uh, where she's uh, she's trying to convince them to deliver to her where she is uh, on this rooftop because she's an Avenger. Uh, and when that didn't work, what if she told them that she was technically two Avengers? Yeah. And Gwen just like up and leaves because she's not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. No, very, very much focused on um, on getting back to the lake house there. Although it kind of goes awry and she ends up in, in the lake next to the lake house, which is... Yeah, that's that's great. So um, to, to put it in perspective, uh, we get to see a bit more details about what's going on there. Randy Robertson is also at the Lake House. Uh, obviously, we know the Mary Janes are. And there's the big reveal. We have the return of, of Harry Osborn in these issues. In this issue, sorry. Yeah, because according to Gwen, they haven't heard from Harry in two years. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the time since Peter's death, uh, Harry hasn't been present. Uh, you know, he, we've only spoken about him in, in terms of the flashbacks that we saw in the previous issue or two. And, you know, Gwen is, like, super pleased to see him. Uh, there's a really nice panel where they kind of just hug. Uh, and, yeah, they, they even, like, they black out, uh, they black out and then they white out the background. Yeah, so they're super happy to sort of be back together. Or not, rather, because there's this sort of campfire scene where, where they're all supposed to be getting on together, but Gwen's kind of acutely aware of, you know, what, why would he come back after two years away? And, you know, has he been okay? Was was he all right? And, and you know, what's motivating him? And Because she's also aware that he was carrying that same guilt that she carries. And they have this sort of earnest conversation in the woods, at, which, which results in Gwen kind of getting at him and saying something to the effect of, you, you know, like, you, you couldn't have done anything. Which causes a, another flashback scene where we get a proper reveal of the, I don't, I don't want to say the, the Spider-Gwen lizard fight, would you say? Or probably, like, I think it would be, like, Harry's side of the story of uh, what happened between um, him, Spider-Woman, and uh, Lizard. Yeah, so this is almost a bit of a retcon, I'd say. It's It's two pages, and it's this sort of sequence where it picks up sort of from the moment where we saw Peter transform in the previous issue in the flashback for that one except this time it's shown that he he sort of comes out the gate attacking Harry who he's harboring resentment for amped up by the lizard mutagen presumably for I don't know he, he says he's a traitor so that could be for not helping him when he got beat up not helping him when um, you know it, with that situation, or or potentially with him trying to ask Gwen out to the prom night. I don't know. Uh, it's it's he's not acting rationally anyway. Uh, Gwen comes then, in. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. I was about to say that as Harry continues telling his side of the story about witnessing the lizard's fight with Spider Woman, he even mentions how um she was toying around with the lizard. She wasn't pulling her punches. Yeah. So this is a really, I think, important and clarifying moment in this fight here. Because previously, up until this point, the way this story frames this fight, because this fight's been referenced not just in the last issue, not just here, but like in the very first issue, it's referenced all the time in the sense that nobody knows that Peter Parker is the lizard. So nobody knows. So, so Gwen isn't, you know, the, the, logically speaking, then it, Gwen isn't really at fault 
for for his death. But in in this sequence here, it's shown that Peter, as even as the lizard, does try to de-escalate. He is saying, "Leave me alone," and he isn't in an aggressive posture. And Gwen insists on continuing the fight, punches him back and forth, and then he dies. And there's this final panel, the one we've seen so often, where where Gwen's holding Peter, except it's now it's sort of turned around almost to have Harry's some of Harry in in frame and the caption and I watched her break his heart and and that's kind of the implication here that at not just a physical level but like the lizard for Peter to get beaten up by his hero it's you know he's he's been broken at like a you know an, an emotional level as well like he's he's been he's, he's he's not been with anybody to his prom night here but he's he's also like he's been beaten up by his hero his friend he thinks has rejected him and he's he's you know, this is a humiliating event for him, and, and this is what causes him to die. It's it's Gwen's specific decision to continue this fight and to continue beating up the lizard that results in his death. And I, I've posted about this a lot because this is this is a re- this is a fairly big retcon as far as Gwen's agency is concerned in her origin, because without this specific component where she abuses her power, uh, doesn't use it responsibly, that's why Peter dies. The fact that she is actually at fault. For his death is what provides her with a motivating force because the kind of like I, I don't know a lot of people say something to the effect of like you, you know like th- there's this whole thing about how pete wants to be special like gwen and that's that's what makes him become the lizard and, and you know that's that's why it all goes wrong but that's not really i don't know if that's an insight so much on on gwen how she should use her powers responsibly um, but this very much is and i think this is an important thing when adapting the stories to remember this particular moment this particular flashback because it is a big deal you know they give it a sort of an issue to breathe really there isn't there isn't any other action in this issue outside of this flashback scene particularly so yeah this is this is a super important retcon because because obviously I, and i draw the parallel here between when pete chose to let the mugger go in his run and that results in uncle ben's death uh, the parallel here is that gwen doesn't pull her punches and continues this this humiliating fight for this person and it results in the death of her best friend that's the, that's her great power, great responsibility moment. If that makes sense. Oh no, I see the uh, parallel right there. Nice. I think another aspect to it all is that Edge of Spider Verse number two and the Spider Gwen miniseries kind of just jump right into the middle of of what's happening on Earth sixty five. There isn't an origin moment as such for Gwen. She doesn't have an origin issue. So what a lot of is is being done with this first six issues is to look back on what they've already done and say, okay, where can we flesh it out? Where can we complete this sort of story? And yeah, they very, they're very much aimed to do that. And, and what they set up here is that for the same reason that Gwen continues to keep on fighting because she didn't do um, the right thing, Peter died because of her actions. Uh, Harry's also been compelled to, well, I mean, he doesn't call himself the Green Goblin, but he's, uh, he's, got, a, he's got a Goblin glider at the end of this issue and it ends with him saying that I'm the only one who can bring the spider woman to justice. So he has a very personal and specific vendetta with Gwen. Um, and he has the tech here to, to, to prosecute that vengeance as it were, which immediately sets up issue number four. And we get uh, a very cool extended chase scene in the rain. That's, uh, that's really fun. I, I like this. This is, um, it's probably one of my favorite issues of, of spider Gwen. Where the we don't see Harry first, but he does send his hobgoblin drones. Those robots are modeled after the colors of the hobgoblin. Yeah, so 
yeah, like there's this kind of like I don't know, say like Power Ranger looking suit that he wears on his on his glider, but he's got like yeah doubles that he sends out in in the orange hobgoblin colors, and they've got these sort of elaborate gadgets that we come to expect from the goblin characters. He's got kind of I don't know, are these like pumpkin orangs. What would you call those those things with the blades on? Yeah, because they do look like yeah boomerangs. But I don't think they're pumpkin shaped. They're probably just pumpkin colored. But I think they're just regular boomerangs. Right. Yeah. So there's the, these drones. They keep there's there's a few of them. I think it's about three, right? And they they get successively sent after Gwen while she runs away. And all the time that this sort of fight scene's happening, uh, she's not talking a huge amount outside of puns and stuff. Um, but she does have this sort of caption where she's trying to work out her sort of philosophy on things you know she the reason that she's suited up to sort of take this fight as well is because she's tired of hiding and the reason that you, you know she's she's trying to work out because obviously she's carrying a lot of this guilt and she's now seeing it in harry as well and she's also trying to assess how much agency that she has in peter's death she does acknowledge that, of course, Peter did, you know, he did turn himself into an angry lizard who did attack people. So she does give, give herself quite a bit of slack with that. So, yeah, that's, that's a sort of major thing that, that comes up here. And, and Gwen tries to get through to Harry, but nothing is really working uh, at all. Like, nothing she's saying does actually get through to Harry in these scenes. It's it not working. It not working. Even Gwen's having this inner conflict about whether or not to unmask herself to Harry to get through to him. Yeah, yeah, she knows that all, you know, he, he's not he's not going to be intent on killing her because th- that is implied at this point. There is there is a moment where she says that she'll hand herself in if she'll if he'll just let her talk. Um, but then he 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 implies that he's he's out for blood, you know, he's out he's out to kill her. So it's like she knows that yeah, the the, the mask could be way out of this there's um there's another flashback scene in this between harry and pete and gwen and the plain dungeons and dragons again and, uh, harry yeah. refuses to be the green goblin game piece because that's what the bullies call him yeah yeah he'd put he's he's the dungeon master here and he's he's put a lot of effort uh into into crafting this uh, character sheet the green goblin for harry which which harry reacts poorly to and they, they fall out over it yeah. yeah, and, and Peter leaves. Gwen asks Harry, "What's his problem?" She's like, oh, "What the fuck, Harry? Did you have to embarrass him like that?" Yeah, yeah. How, how, how much? How many swears is Gwen up to in uh, this so far? So far in well, this arc, we're up to two. Okay, two. All right, she's that's better than the last one, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good. It's it's an interesting moment as well. I I don't know because because obviously like. Peter's feeling very rejected by everybody, and that's kind of what comes off in most of these scenes that that he gets a flashback in, um, and and in this one Harry's he, he's very unimpressed and he's very he seems cruel really you know he breaks the game piece and all the Green Goblin one, which obviously upsets Peter, um, and, and you know he comments that Peter's obviously not doing well uh, with with all of the bullying he's sort of aware of that as well, but the way he sees going around calling himself the Green Goblin that wouldn't be healthy uh he sort of says hey yeah there's this caption here they won't break me like they've broken him in in reference to yeah uh, peter's state at the time and, and harry himself uh talking there so it's immediately then cuts back to him as the green goblin uh, i say the green goblin it cuts back to one of his hobgoblin drones so it's 
it's debatable whether or not they they managed to break him like they broke Peter. I actually do like the fight sequence with the hobgoblins. Gwen goes really hard on the puns. I like the stop hammer time panel. That's really cool. Where she picks up a sledgehammer and completely demolishes one of the hobgoblins. And then like Harry catches right up to her, attempting to talk him down is gonna stop him but then Gwen just goes on saying that trying making fun of him like trying to send robots after her from his dad sending your daddy's last robot down here let me check that shit kicking off to my to-do list that's three right now okay all right um yeah it's um yeah it's 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 some interesting character moments here and Gwen has this sort of like in between all of all of the back and forth between her and Harry, who now has a lightsaber as well. He has a lightsaber in this issue, which is very cool. Like straight up, it's just a lightsaber. He has a green. He fights with that for a bit. That's fun. But there's there's this moment where she acknowledges what she's done, where she says that that in goading and and humiliating the lizard and taking it out on him, that was wrong. And she says because I think what I have to do is win this fight. But what do I do if I win? And yeah, and it's, it's very reflective. And she acknowledges that for, for all of these characters, this is about power. It's about how powerless I feel, Gwen says, how obsessed I am with what I couldn't do with something no one could have done. And yeah, I, I think the captions here, they almost try to, I guess, both sides it. They have this whole thing where it's like, I have to accept that Peter made his own choices, his own mistakes. He confused what he could do with what he should do. And that is what made him a monster. And I don't know. I, I think maybe... They go a bit too after after having revealed that her action specifically killed Peter, who was trying to not fight Gwen in the previous issue. This almost feels like a little bit of a backtrack. Like it's that there's a, there's definitely a, I I don't know a, a, a contradictory tension between the nature of Gwen wanting to move on here and the fact that she did very much kill Peter Parker in this Earth. Like like she did do that in the previous issue. So it's like. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a tricky one. This is mostly in part due to like Gwen even admits in her thoughts that when she first got her powers, she didn't want to use them responsibly. She just wanted to be happy with the fact that she has powers. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. This is this is the thing. She very much, very much enjoys using them, uh, and and it does. You do get that impression from a lot of it. You know, she does. She does enjoy the power and she doesn't enjoy feeling powerless. You know, that's why she's out here taking this fight with Harry Osborne in the first place. You know, because she could have just stayed home, but she was sick of hiding. And, you know, for Harry too, he feel he felt powerless seeing Peter get beat up. And he felt powerless when Peter attacked him. And he's, he's evidently been feeling powerless for two years now. And, yeah, the fight scene itself continues as it gets sort of closer and closer a pumpkin bomb he does it yeah there's a pumpkin bomb right pumpkin bomb goes off and yeah things take a turn when harry reveals he's got a, a vial of the lizard formula and starts to ingest it yeah yeah that's that's a twist there because like you know obviously up until this point he's just been using gadgets but but at this point he he takes off the armor it's just him in his vest and trousers and there's this point where like his face is overshadowed before he takes the vial and which which gives him the kind of super strength needed to basically defeat Gwen. Like in hand to hand combat here, he overpowers her. There's even a, a quick flashback while he explains how he's got this lizard vial, where he says that he 
in the two years he's been gone, he briefly worked at Shield, where he found out that you know he found out about this this research with the lizard formula. He found out about uh, Dr. Connors, and that's what led to them becoming lab rats uh, and getting turned into lizards themselves. But yeah, and, and that, that's he's now ended up with his own uh, say copy, uh, his own file of the lizard serum. Backtracking there, there's also another mention that Silk provided him with the formula. Yeah, yeah, Silk is playing a, a key role in there. S dot, I dot, L dot, K dot, Silk, not Silk, Silk. But yeah, it's, yeah, there, there's a, they played a key role in the creation of the lizard formula, as, as Captain America indicated in issue number two. And, you know, this whole sort of monologue he's having, and he gets ready to sort of kill Gwen. But he unmasks her, um, and he has this sort of, he has a Darth Vader no moment where he's he's just sort of it ends out with him shouting no with his hands thrown up in the air because he's he's you know he, he's clearly mortified by the realization that it's it's been Gwen this whole time. That's that closes out issue number four. Issue number five, we have to point out that Chris Visions is on this art instead. Robbie Rodriguez took a break. Yeah. Rodriguez did a, a lot. There's a lot of issues throughout this run where he'll kind of drop out for a bit and he'll get replaced by somebody. Uh, one of those people who comes up a lot is Chris Visions. I think he's Chris Visions has got a really cool looking art style. It's very, very thick lines. It's very busy looking panels as well. Lots of stuff going off in in the background. And yeah, I, I'm not super into his faces, but they all look unique and they all look different. So there's that as well. Yeah, Chris Visions is a very cool writer and not as problematic as as, as Robbie Rodriguez is. So that's good. We get a flashback scene. So so basically, this issue isn't picking directly up off from what issue number four is doing. It, it's sort of set outside of that. It's trying to flesh out Earth-65 more. Um, this issue is mostly about what the NYPD is doing during Spider-Woman versus Green Goblin. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you, you know, we, we get Frank Castle here. Now, Frank Castle 616, his family are killed by the mob. Am I right? His, his family's killed anyway, in, tragically. And that's what spurs him on to vengefully pursue the, you know, uh, I don't know, how should I say? The criminals. And... His quest for killing criminals. Yeah, that's his, that's his motivation, is, is, the, is the loss of his family. But here it's different. It opens up on on him having a, a fridge note where his 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 family leaves him. They they're alive, but they don't want to be around Frank Castle sixty five. So yeah, that that's he's then uh, yeah. So that 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 means that in terms of his job, he's he's able to sort of really throw himself into that. If he wasn't already, which I think is implied, and this is a months ago scene as well. So this is a this is a, I want to emphasize this is a flashback scene. So this is this has already been in place, and. Now, of course, he's leading the mayor's task force, and yeah, it's it it becomes this sets up his I guess pathos for what he does later on. He he fights like a uh, a guy with nothing to lose. At least there's another scene where we see that Captain Stacy does indeed accept Murdoch's. I don't know, quest? Legal advice? Yeah, he calls him either way. There's a really fun uh, page where uh, Matt Murdock is stood on the George Washington Bridge. That's the George Washington Bridge, right? I assume so, because I think that's the only uh, 
major bridge in New York that I'm aware of. Ah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he stood on the bridge there and he's he's practicing I don't know, with his katana stick and yeah, there's yeah, they, they kind of like he's listening to music and he's got his echolocation going on and like these these lyrics and the sound waves and they kind of merge into one. It looks very cool. And it's all colored red. It looks great. Yeah, I really like that page. They flesh out the working relationship in this issue between DeWolf and Captain America as well, where Captain America, where Samantha Wilson sort of gets into what's going on with Frank Castle. Like, is more of his backstory explored in this scene where it's explained at a Stark Books cafe, which is exactly what it sounds like. It looks like a Starbucks, except all of the branding has Tony Stark-esque facial hair on it. And as it turns out, an Earth-65, although he doesn't show up, he is a coffee magnate, but he also, he's got something to do with war. He's, he's, he's a war I think prophecy. he's still an arms dealer, just like during his pre-Iron Man days. Yeah, yeah. It mentions here that he has a, a war machine, which is a, a mercenary outfit that Frank Castle belonged to in the time between his tour of duty and then working for the, the New York Police Department. Uh, so that's his background. And yeah, they that's what he's, he's, you know, he's had his experience in and and I guess some of his, his gear as well. His, his skull vest is shown there as well. So it's implied it's from those days. Yeah, and then there's more explaining about how because Captain America was partially privy to a lot of the stuff with, you know, what Harry Osborn was doing because he obviously had a job at S.H.I.E.L.D. and explains that the roots of the lizard mutagen was in the research of Dr. Connors when he was at Oscorp before he retired to teach at Midtown High. So, yeah, it's that that's how that all tied in there with Peter and Harry and Connors with the lizard stuff. They they all sort of, you know, obviously Harry became aware of it much later on, but yeah. Connors eventually did hand it all off to Silk, obviously. And yeah, it's, I think it's interesting that they were, um, they were involved there. We also get a bit more time with the Falcon as well. Yep. It's Captain America sends Sam to find any leads that he might have on the missing Harry Osborn, as well as the uh, lizard formula. And that leads him to go check out Gwen and Betty's apartment, where yeah. Betty just blasts the music. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. The Valkyries on Earth sixty five are not a group of people who help transport the dead to Valhalla. They are a band that Betty Brandt has on vinyl, uh, which is interesting. Um, yeah, this is kind of like this is kind of a cute scene where where Betty Brent's kind of just doing her own thing, trying to find a phone, while the Falcon just being like this kid who's you know he's yeah they 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 kind of a I don't think it's a meet cute, but it's definitely like the start of something. They he's crushing on her at least. But at the same time, like he's just puzzled at like what Betty her attitude is trying to find a phone, and she's trashing the apartment. Yeah, yeah, she tears a pillow apart with her brute force, her brute strength even, at one point. And that's, yeah, that's impressive. Kudos to her. Although, I will say this, in the last panel, you can actually see a vinyl breaking in the background, and that doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't, doesn't sit right with, my, with 
with my soul seeing a seeing a vinyl record getting broken like that. It was uh, the pillow. I don't mind, but I I do draw the line at vinyl records that must be handled with such violence. Anyway, we then cut to where George confronts Matt on a rooftop, and this is fun to point out. Matt's wearing a shirt that says "I'm not the kingpin," which is a reference to his prime counterpart, which wore a shirt saying "I'm not Daredevil." Yeah, I, I like that. Is is um. It's funny because, yeah, because obviously on, on 616, he's, he's widely accused of being Daredevil, hence him wearing the, the shirt as a joke. But yeah, that's, uh, it's funny. Matt Murdock does it here as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, like, if... This is kind of like the joke where some heroes and villains, when they're in their civvies, they wear colors that evoke their identity. Yeah, this is a lot more explicit than that. Yeah, yeah, as well. And on top of the red shirt and the red glasses and the... I mean, if if readers needed any more confirmation that Wilson Fisk was indeed not the kingpin in this reality, and that it was Matt Murdock, I feel like this scene is it as well, because he even directs his yeah, like it's it's a it's a whole thing where they sort of go back and forth over how he figured out that Spider Woman is Gwen Stacy, and also he reveals his his plans here as well, where he sort of he implies that you know he says that he wants to recruit Gwen basically. That, that's, that's a sort of a thing here. Captain Stacy more cynically frames it as using Gwen as his foot soldier, but he's he sort of throws back that he's just being an overbearing parent. And yeah, they, I think Captain Stacy and Matt Murdock, they have very competing visions for what they want Gwen to do throughout this run. And, and they both sort of try and influence her in, in their ways. Uh, Matt gives Captain Stacy this sort of moment to decide whether or not to let Frank Castle live. Is, is that is that what's happening here? Yeah, Matt has hand ninjas doing an assassination attempt on Castle. Yeah, and he's he's sort of given Captain Stacy the choice on whether or not to call them off. But but Captain Stacy, being the virtuous guy he is, doesn't want to see somebody just killed by ninjas. And yeah, it's it's kind of left open ended. This scene they don't they don't really reach a resolution on what they want to do going forward and. Yeah, it's it, and 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 ultimately the ninjas don't kill Frank Castle, who who's obviously just confused and believes that he's defeated them when they miraculously vanish at Matt Murdock's command. So yeah, that that sort of concludes, I guess, the stuff we're having with like Frank Castle in this arc and and Matt Murdock too. They sort of they get picked up in in later arcs. There's more Captain America stuff as well, uh, which is really cool. We get she's managed to track down Harry Osborn. And she finds him at the moment of his discovering that Gwen is Spider-Woman. So that's where issue number four left off, right? Like it immediately, it only comes back around to it at the very end of this one. Yeah, this is a really interesting issue. I think you could even do an episode, it could even hold an episode of its own. I think the the amount of sort of space it covers within Earth-65 and all the, the different sort of powers that be at play as well. It's it's very, very cool. And I do like Chris Vision's uh, line work. I think it's maybe a bit of an acquired taste. I think I, I see sometimes seeing people like reacting uh, negatively to it by the sudden art change after, I don't know, like 10 issues of, of the same. But but yeah, no, I, I do like Chris Vision's. I think I think he's cool. And I do enjoy it when he when he does stuff on this book because I think he does two or three other issues as well in this run, which are really cool. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I'd say that Vision's art, yeah, it's a bit more of an acquired taste. You got to get used to it. Because like sometimes certain panels seem a little bit too busy, but other times it does look pretty solid. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I think, I think the busy point's right, but a lot of it's down to I think the amount of detail he puts into his backgrounds. Like, you don't get nearly as many blank backgrounds in in Chris Vision's work. Like, he does, he thinks about the rooms that they're in, and he has a good sense. I think the space that the characters are occupying and and the way they 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 interact with that, which is which is very cool. Uh, it it is Robbie Rodriguez back on issue number six. Which is which is cool. Which is cool. Uh, there is a bit of a change there. I think there's a bit of a continuity error almost, where in issue number five it closes out looking at Harry Osborn like almost fully transformed. He's gone completely green, but when we pick up here in issue number six, he's only half green. So yeah, I'm 100% what happened there. I think that's um, blame it on the editor, I guess. But before Gwen wakes up, she is confronted by visions of her dad, Aunt May, Jess, and even herself, questioning what is she going to do next. Yeah, and and they're all they're all quoting themselves. Like Captain Stacy has said, you know, is this where you're needed most? And Aunt May's had that whole conversation about how you carry on living. And Jess, just in issue number three, was saying, is this really the best Gwen Stacy you can be? So yeah, like that that that's interesting. Like they're her three uh, mentor figures really that have been shown so far. And uh, yeah, I think it's good. I, I like how they color this this page here. It's very very cool, like with the pink and the blue and the and the reds. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, she's it's the responsibility moment sort of kicking in there, and when she does come to, I think there's there's very much a I guess a, a paradigm shift in the fight. Like Gwen, at this point, she's not trying to hurt Harry anymore. Although Captain America and 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 Harry are trying to hurt each other for sure. And uh, just when Cap has Harry ready to be arrested, the Goblin Glider that he left behind earlier that wasn't destroyed comes back and and blows everything up basically it's it's a whole it's a whole thing yeah like this it sort of it puts a reset on the fight captain america gets knocked out and harry loses an arm and at this point they they sort of explain a bit how the lizard formula works because obviously like harry's not he's not fully transformed at this point right he's you know he's, he's half lizard still but what as as a sort of over the airwaves peggy carter explains uh using cap's earpiece that to Gwen that it's the way the lizard mutagen works is it seeks out trauma regenerates after injury and given time it will replace its host completely so I think maybe this is what happens with like Peter because obviously he doesn't transform at the moment that he injects the lizard formula into himself he transforms when he has that sort of breakdown at school and here we see that Harry he hasn't fully transformed up until this point you know obviously he's he's got a bit of strength obviously he's, he's gotten quite flustered and you know it's it's had an effect on him but after having lost the arm when he reappears his like the arm which got chopped off is like and it's almost like bubbled back it's it's regenerated and he's got big old lizard arms it looks looks like almost while the rest of his body is yet to catch up and there's there's a really sweet moment at this point in the book i really like this scene where they uh where they, they talk about what they've done and how they can move on yeah. harry thought that he says he's not gonna let gwen take him like he thought he was doing the right thing for peter but then like gwen just calls him out of it saying that's bullshit that's for right now <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and 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 they do and they have yeah she, she just call him on that and 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 she has this whole moment where she sort of relates back to what the the sort of internal realizations that she's been having over the course of this this fight and this arc about how what had happened made them feel small and how they have to take responsibility and to own what they've done wrong and to push forward with the truth now even in spite of the mistakes they made and 
it ends out with Gwen giving the lizard the suppressant and basically saying that she's not a cop, she's not a soldier, she doesn't want to fight him, which I think is a that's a good policy. And yeah, it it ends on a sort of upbeat note almost. Harry's able to then run off into the night, presumably to get help from from his super rich dad. And yeah, Gwen's able to return a hero with her identity kept secret as well, because she's been unmasked for a bit at this point. And I want to point out that like when Harry was asking, what is she going to do about S.H.I.E.L.D. if they're going to have a problem with just letting Harry escape? She said that she she has the S.H.I.E.L.D. with her, meaning that she possesses the power of America. Fuck yeah, that's five right now. Yes, I love that panel, it's so good. With the sort of like the callback to Mjolnir with the with the with the Captain America shield. It is interesting how often she gets to actually use the shield in this arc. I think that's maybe like the second or so time. Um yeah, it's it's cool. Um and she has this whole moment where very publicly she hands Cap back the shield. Cap doesn't arrest Spider-Woman and she even gets the cops to sort of hold back and salutes her. And this moment here is quite important, I guess, for um, establishing a, an alternative narrative to, to the one up until this point, which has been fairly negative towards Gwen in the press. And I think Cap also, like perhaps maybe Murdoch and, and Stacey, has, has an idea of what she wants to see in Gwen and who she thinks that Gwen can be. You know, where she says that the mask gives her the chance to change things. It says, well, she says, it gives you the chance to change things that I never got. And to really change the world, you can't run, you can't hide, you have to step out there and face it. And so I think there's there's an almost idealistic approach, I think, Captain America has to it to want to see Gwen be her, her best self, which is which is really nice. I like their um, their dynamic uh, when it comes up. It kind of almost reminds me of maybe um, the prime Captain America with, with his relationships with Spider-Man. Like when he used to be on the Avengers. Yeah, it's 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 uh yeah, very sort of wholesome, optimistic, I think, approach, which is which is juxtaposed against the the corrupting influence of Matt Murdock and the more uh, father type relationship, which which she is, he, you know, it it is her father, uh, Captain Stacy. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, and which is also how this issue and this arc closes out with. Captain Stacy announcing that he is no longer a cop, which is good for him, good for him, and that he's not going to try and pursue the whole thing with Peter and the lizard, because it's not constructive, I guess. He says that secrets aren't always lies, and facts aren't always the truth. The truth is, no one really cares how or why Peter died. It doesn't matter if they did, they'd never understand it because they don't want to. Yeah, yeah, the, the narrative's kind of out of control, I guess, for going at this point. And yeah, they, they have a really sort of sweet moment where, where, where George basically says that he's refocusing on, on Gwen and as, as being her dad, which is, which is really nice. And he burns up all the evidence he had against the lizard and, and Peter Parker and all that. Gwen almost, yeah, she does kind of want to explain to him, but, but she doesn't. But yeah, I think some some really good character work here. I, I love these two, George and Gwen Stacy. They they yeah, they deserve the world, and yet they get to a little. Yeah, and that that closes out Greater Power, the first arc of the Spider Gwen series, which is which is super cool. Before we uh, give our perspectives on it, if you've been noticing throughout the episode, we've been keeping tally of how much Gwen swears. We've been keeping a swear jar 
this is our new segment, the Stacy Swear Jar, just because of how prone she is to profanity. <laughs> so far, in as of greater power, overall, she swore five times in this arc. When you tally the amount of times that she swore in Most Wanted, that's, hold on, I'm trying to count. She swore nine times in Most Wanted and twice in Edge of Spider-Verse number two. So as of the end of Greater Power, there is $16 in the Stacy swear jar. He does. Okay. Like see Peter Parker do that, huh? Like like see him be a, a man of the people. Yeah. There's um another thing that sort of they, they did alongside the single issues for this arc of Spider-Man. And it will show if you read it on like Marvel Unlimited or you buy the single issues, but it perhaps doesn't if you've read it in a collection of some sort, where there are these little character profiles that are in the back of the issues that are really nifty, uh, that that provide like extra details on the characters. There's one for Spider-Gwen, there's one for Captain America, there's one for Matt Murdock, one for Captain Stacy, Frank Castle, Harrisbond. I think there's one for every issue in this arc, which, which doesn't happen again. But that does mean that there's like a bunch of extra details packed in with these characters. For instance, um, yeah, I, I sort of went through them and, you know, obviously a lot of it is already covered in, in the issues. A lot of it's sort of just repeating back what's already happened, but there's some extra details in there that are quite interesting. And, and it was referenced earlier, but Gwen actually receives her web shooters and her costume from Janet Van Dyne on Earth-65. Uh, that's how she has those. Because obviously on Earth-616, when Peter Parker gets his web shooters, he, he makes them... And he makes his costume, right? Yeah, he makes his costume. But yeah, like on Earth 65, as you can see in a lot of the advertising, Janet Van Dyne is a is a like perfume module, I guess. But but it's acknowledged here that she used to be a crime fighter and she's made these web shooters that use moisture from the air. So they don't need cartridges, they don't need to be like reloaded. So long as there's moisture in the air, Gwen is able to use these web shooters, which is really interesting. And another thing to point out, at, at this point in the comic, sort of comic run at Marvel, uh, Gwen is also appearing in a team-up comic with other interdimensional spiders, uh, spider heroes called the Web Warriors. And, and this is all coming out of the Secret Wars event. And I, I, I think we plan on doing that at some point in the future. We'll, we'll do the Web Warriors comics. I think when we start running out of Gwen solo stuff to do, that's when we're going to get to the side stories. Yeah, yeah. Web Warriors is fun, but it's not... The character work for Gwen is, is a bit different. You know, it's it's at this point in the comics, like she's very new. They don't have a huge amount, but yeah, they're, they're, there's some fun comics. There's also the Captain America character profile, and there's some interesting details here. It goes into her career quite a bit. It mentions how she came from a religious family. She didn't really like agree with them too much. Like she had a whole there was a bit of tension there. Anyway, she ended up studying religion at university before then becoming. Uh, a pilot in this sort of exceptional program within the U.S. Air Force, or the U.S. Civil Air Patrol, rather, which uh, allowed her to then join S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Project Rebirth, uh, which which was her background there. S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, were trying to clone, we, we mentioned this earlier, S.H.I.E.L.D. were trying to clone Samantha, and apparently they tried this a bunch of times, ending up at the Falcon that we currently have in this comic. Captain America also works in an assisted living retirement facility when she's not fighting for S.H.I.E.L.D., which I thought was super wholesome. And, and is it like the James Buchanan Barnes retirement home? Is that right? Or is it the medical center? Yeah, that's All I right. know is that it's the James Buchanan Barnes medical center or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we do actually get more Captain America 
uh, later on. We do actually get to see that, which is really cool. Um, another thing which is mentioned here is that uh, Captain America doesn't age. So presumably, because she's conscious for her 75-year disappearance, she is very old, like in a way that most Captain Americas aren't. Like a Captain America, they get frozen in 75 years and nights. They're not conscious. They're not mentally aging, right? They might not, they, you know, obviously they're not physically aging, but they're not mentally aging. But this, but this Captain America, Samantha Wilson, she is like super old. She's like over 100 years old. And that's just, that's just her physiology lets her live that long. The Matt Murdock profile, what we have covered is already in there or it's stuff that we're going to cover later on because it does actually get shown in the comic they decided to put a lot of it in the interior work so it, it, it in a later arc so we've sort of opted not to really include any of the extra tidbits from there we get a really detailed profile for captain stacy who was yeah there's, there's there's a bunch of stuff going on there in his right yeah it seems like that during his youth he was the complete opposite of his prime counterpart i'm assuming yeah yeah absolutely like he yeah it, it says here he was like born into like an economic downturn in a crime riddled and poverty stricken new york and he actually starts out joining the yancey street gang to try and affect like positive change to act like a like a community like a public service but ended up getting drawn into like these fights with confrontation violent confrontations it says with criminals gangs and cops and what ends up happening is a is a corrupt cop like frames them and it turns into this whole gang war. And the, so the Yancey Street Gang becomes this sort of fight in, in New York. And he ends up having to work with the father of Helen Carmichael, who he eventually marries to try and bring about justice for the Yancey Street Gang. And, you know, I, I presume the presence of like him and Ben Grimm within the NYPD would indicate that they were exonerated in some way, which is, you know, I guess, good for them. And it says here that he did try and he did it to try and root out corruption by joining the NYPD. And but he moves up quickly and easily through the ranks, where he was then able to convict Wilson Fisk, which is sort of the backstory behind the kingpin, I guess, being arrested in the way he was. It also mentions here that he's he's kind of struggled to connect with Gwen up until this point. Ever since Helen died, yet the two have been clashing over Gwen's more carefree attitude and his overprotectiveness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think like what we see from a lot of Gwen's is that at least the six one six sort of prime variant of Gwen. She's she's very she's very book smart, very into a science, very studious type person. So you don't, I don't think you necessarily get a lot of. I don't know how she, how to say the the tension with her father isn't as amped up as it is here or maybe what it is i guess it's a bit like ultimate gwen stacy in the sense that you know you've got a very free-spirited child and and he's a very by the book person i guess also and and it does touch on this in issue number six but he is a huge captain america fan he apparently owns all of the captain america comic books uh which i think is is, is, is super funny uh, i think that's really like, yeah just think mcu colson with his obsession with captain america yeah it's like yeah. that yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, apparently, there's also an in-universe show called Dad Cop, uh, also mentioned in issue number six. But he, this is his favorite show, despite having never stayed awake through the viewing of an entire episode, which I think is, that's just great. I love that. It's brilliant. Yeah, so that's, that's some of the tidbits from Captain Stacy's character profile. There's one for Frank Castle as well. They, they detail his backstory quite a bit with him uh, signing up for the U.S. Marines initially, which is mentioned, apparently following 9-11, which is, yeah, and he did tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, yeah, he's a, yeah, 
Um, and then he joins the mercenary group called War Machine, which apparently was at odds with S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, they were already fighting S.H.I.E.L.D. As, as a mercenary outfit. He was already fighting against them. And when he came home, domestic life, he was aggressive. And it says, and he ends up joining the NYPD where he gains notoriety for over-the-top violence. And that's where he earns the name of the Punisher, apparently, according to his character profile. So that's, um, yeah, he's a, he's a piece of work. I'm not going to lie. I don't, mm-mm, didn't sit right with me at all. What, what else does it say? Apparently, he keeps a private list of sarcastic action hero one-liners for future use, but to date has never used one. Which checks out because he's very dry in the interior panels, but I find it quite amusing the idea of him keeping one-liners down to use an action. Because yeah, he doesn't really seem like a kind of quippy guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's neither here nor there. He's he's very to the point in the fights. Seems like he's you know target locked, target eliminated. Exactly. Yeah. As a Harry Osborn character profile, I think we spent a lot of today talking about him already. And, and even though they do give him like an extra page, yeah, there's not a huge amount more that they don't already cover in his profile. But the character profile very explicitly acknowledges that Gwen's humiliation of Peter caused the mutagen to kill him. So yeah, it that that is the case. Like it's not like it's not just me putting that on the text. That is that is the text of this of this story. Um that, that is what happens in that backstory. It also mentions here that Harry's like very brief two-year career where he does all of these things that ends up with him in these issues apparently he listed in the u.s army and special forces where he was apparently quite successful and then he was recruited by shield who were using him to try and gain access to oscorp so he only just had like this desk job when he was at shield and he didn't really do very much while he was there but he did gain access to the intelligence regarding the, the Connors Peters lizard formula. And that enabled him to sort of work with Silk and get that sort of all made up um, for what we saw in this issue. So yeah, that's the that's the character profiles there. They're, they're very interesting. I do I do recommend if, if you like really like that sort of trivia type stuff, definitely go back and have a look at the single issues of Marvel Unlimited. You'll be able to get those at the back of the page. But yeah, I think that that wraps up the uh, character profiles. Uh, we've got to we've got to sort of just I, I guess summarize our, our overall perspectives on this arc then. Yeah, I love the how they elaborated on like the wider world of Earth 65 because you've got all of these people who back on Earth 616, they're in Peter's social circle. But on this Earth, you have them integrated with even with Gwen's social circle because you got her relationship with Harry Osborn. You could see that yeah they were very close with each other. Yeah, su- super. Yeah, and, and I think that's quite a compelling dynamic. Um, and it's at its best in this arc, I think. Overall, I, I I really like this arc. I think it's very cool. It's very very loaded with stuff, like you say. Like they spend a lot of time fleshing out Earth sixty five. I it's there's there's a lot to it. I think with what they're setting up for future stuff down the line, a lot of that is founded in this particular comic book arc. And, and I do think this is one of the more defining Spider Gwen stories. Like I think if if I, if I had to recommend like a first arc for somebody to read, this would be it. It's really good. And and I do think like the changes they make to her backstory, I think that's very much needed to give her the kind of agency that, that makes her a compelling character, especially in the long run. Because they don't just um they don't just drop that whole thing where Gwen overuses her power, right? Like they, they come back around to that quite a bit. Or or uses it in the wrong way rather, should I say. Yeah. And even there's also like some wholesome moments in this arc too, because it's really cute how uh, Gwen gave the bodega banded pine cone and how she has her heart to heart with Jess and her dad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, each character's got a very unique voice, I think. And, and you can see a lot of them 
they bounce off each other in, in meaningful ways and seeing how you know Gwen is being a sort of younger more impressionable character I guess how she's you know how, how they each want to try and influence her uh you, you know some some more constructively and more wholesomely like you say and, and some others less so yeah I, I think there's a lot of really really good stuff here it's a really excellent opening six issues the action here I you know I, I can't emphasize enough but I do think like the art the way it captures the motion and the way the characters sort of you know like look and, and feel when they fight feels very physical and very you know, very you know I, th- I think they've got a good eye for motion and how the characters how the fights develop and progress it's very very interesting like especially that that scene in issue number uh, four where they're running across with the rain fighting the hobgoblins that's great love that so um yeah is that is that all our thoughts then on this arc on greater power uh pretty much so yeah all right okay good stuff so now you'll notice if you look at the last issue of number six here it says next spider women and that is the case the next issue in the spider Gwen run is a spider women tie-in and the thing is we're not gonna get into that right away we're gonna leave it a couple of weeks we're gonna take a break to look at some other stuff that works because what comes with spider women is some status quo changes and we want to cover a couple of the annuals that also tied into this spider gwen run that work better with the earlier status quo that we've been reading in so far so the first of which will be spider gwen annual number one and this is super cool it's got she-hulk of Earth-65, it's got more Captain America stuff, it's got the Koala Commander, it's got Donald Trump Modoc, which is interesting, and we'll be getting into all of that next week. It's like a, I guess it's like an anthology. It's 32 pages, there's lots of different artists, there's, you know, it's even more packed than what even, like, issue number five was in this run. It really gets into sort of the day-to-day life of the people on Earth-65, and I think it's very interesting. But yeah, it's absolutely set more in that early status quo, so that's why we're moving it up the line for the reading list. It is collected in the third trade of Spider-Gwen, called Long Distance. Uh, there's some other issues in there. We will get to them when we get to them, but we are doing Spider-Gwen Annual Number 1 next week, so uh, give that a read. This week we didn't have any listener mail or listener tweets or anything so if, if you are reading along if you are enjoying this podcast do give spider gwen annual number one a read and shoot us an email or a tweet i've been putting up reddit threads so if that's more your speed there can be a reddit thread you can reply to we'll also put in the description again like we said earlier where to buy and read where uh, the reading list for gwen just generally with all of her books on uh, and as well as a comicsology link to what we discussed today and to what we're discussing next week so yeah please uh please, please do let us know what you think it's been really good if you are sending your thoughts into us do email us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com or tweet us at gsgroupies and the reddit thread will go up within the next i want to say the next day or so after this comes out after this airs yeah after after this airs the reddit thread will come out and you'll be able to reply to that so yeah uh do let us know what you think it's been really good uh, i've been kurt and i've been abigail thanks See you next week. See you, everyone.